Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Rob has written dozens of books with titles like The Red Sea Rules, Ben Sings My Soul, and Reclaiming the Lost Art of Biblical Meditation. Recently, Rob began a video teaching series entitled The 50 Final Events of World History, The Book of Revelation Demystified. You can use this self-paced video study for individual or group use. It includes downloadable visual aids for personal reference or for Bible teachers who want to teach this material to others. Visit robertjmorgan.com courses and use the coupon code podcast at checkout for a special listener's discount. And now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Welcome back to our study about Unstoppable, the message of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. I'm still at my family home in Roan Mountain and still using a portable mic. So if it sounds a little bit different, that's the reason. But this is a wonderful book, the book of the Acts of the Apostles, and the key to it in terms of this series of studies is what Gamaliel said in the book of Acts when the uh, apostles were brought before him and the rest of the Sanhedrin were saying, what can we do with these men? And Gamaliel said, you'd better not do anything with them. If their movement is not from God, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop it. And so this is a great message to us that in spite of discouraging times and sometimes some discouraging statistics, the work that we are doing for the Lord and the work of the kingdom and the advance of the church is truly unstoppable. It is unstoppable because it isn't being done by us. It is being done with our cooperation somehow through us, but by the Holy Spirit and from the control station of Jesus Christ in heaven. So in chapter 1, in the first part of the chapter, Jesus gave final instructions to the disciples, and then he ascended back to heaven, and then these 12 disciples, or the 11 disciples, went back to the upper room. They met with the 120 that were gathered there. They were praying. They were going back and forth to the temple. They were waiting for the day of Pentecost. They uh, replaced Judas, so they would have a 12, uh, they would have a full contingent of 12 disciples, and then they are waiting as the Holy Spirit comes in chapter 2. Now, before we really discuss the day of Pentecost, this is a good time to pause and discuss more fully the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So, I would like to ask and answer seven different questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? What did he do in the Old Testament? What did he do in the life of Christ? What did Jesus say about him? What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? When do you and I receive the Holy Spirit? And how do we live today and speak in the power of the Holy Spirit? Now, obviously, I can't give exhaustive answers to all of those questions because each one of them could be an entire sermon. But I think that this will be helpful as we get ready to go into this momentous second chapter of the book of Acts. So first, who is the Holy Spirit? And this brings us to the deepest and highest ministry of biblical Christianity, the Trinity, the Trinity, the doctrine or the teaching that there is one God who exists in more than one person. God is one God who exists in three persons, and yet he is one God. 
this is obviously impossible for us to understand, which is fitting since God himself is infinitely and infinitely beyond human understanding. But the doctrine of the Trinity is easy to state. There is one God who eternally exists in three persons, or as William Lane Craig would say, with three centers of consciousness, three different personalities, but one person. There is God the Father, there is God the Son, and there is God the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And as the Bible unfolds, each of these three persons has a period of time in which he dominates. In the Old Testament, the primary figure from the Godhead is God the Father, Jehovah Yahweh, who is the principal actor and the speaker. In the Gospels, it is God the Son. And then when we come to the book of Acts and to the ensuing age of the church, it is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God himself, and everything that is true about God is true about the Holy Spirit. That is, he is eternal, omnipotent, all-knowing, omnipresent, loving, holy, righteous, and so forth. And all of his attributes are endless in their degree. So God the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, the deepest and most mysterious and most fathomless mystery of Christianity. It is the one truth that sets Christianity apart from every other faith system on earth. So the second question, what did the Holy Spirit do in the Old Testament? Well, there are a lot of things he did, but let's focus on just one thing. The Holy Spirit came upon certain people at certain times to empower them for certain jobs. He gave them unique abilities in order to do what God had called them to do. So, for example, in Judges chapter 6 and verse 34, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon and gave him wisdom and the strength and the impetus to lead Israel into battle against the Midianites. The Holy Spirit just came down upon him. Then in 1 Samuel chapter 10, Samuel anointed Saul, the son of Kish, with oil, which was symbolic. He took a flash a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and said to him, The Spirit of the Lord will powerfully come upon you, and you will prophesy, and you'll be changed into a different person. Those are the actual words used in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 6. And that's what happened in subsequent verses. The Holy Spirit just came upon him. Sort of like, I think, the opening up of heaven and pouring oil out upon him. And he was empowered in a special way for what God had called him to do. There's also a very interesting passage in Exodus 31 when Moses was overseeing the construction of the tabernacle. And the chapter begins by saying, Then the Lord says to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezaliel, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and with understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for the work of the silver and the gold and the bronze and the precious stones and the craftsmanship necessary for the tabernacle. So here was a man, and the Holy Spirit came upon him and enabled him to do tremendous craftsmanship work on the tabernacle. 
In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat and the entire land, land of Judah and the city of Jerusalem were being invaded by a huge army, and they assembled in a public area, and they prayed earnestly for help. This is one of my favorite verses or chapters or stories in the Bible, and it's very vivid. And all of the people are there waiting in tense expectation because they knew that an army was coming against them. But verse 14 says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel as he stood in the assembly, and he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be discouraged or afraid because of this vast army, because the battle is not yours but God's. So those are a few examples or illustrations of how the Holy Spirit seemed to operate in Old Testament days. He came upon or he filled or he anointed certain people at certain times for certain works or words that God had for them to do. Now, just as the Holy Spirit came upon Saul to make him the king of Israel, so after Saul had sinned, the Holy Spirit departed from him. And when David was anointed king, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and when he sinned, he prayed earnestly in Psalm 51 that God would not take the Holy Spirit from him. So the anointing of the Holy Spirit seems to have been a transient set of abilities that came upon certain people for their tasks for a period of time, maybe for their entire lives, but at least for the period of time in which they were serving the Lord. Now, the third question, what did the Holy Spirit do in the life of Christ? Well, going back to the Old Testament, Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would be anointed in a special way with the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 11 says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon the Messiah. It will be the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was fully God and fully human. He lay aside temporarily some of his divine powers and prerogatives, but he was absolutely fully God and fully human. But he did lay aside some of his prerogatives. And this is a great mystery. This is the second great mystery of Christianity. The first and the greatest mystery is the mystery of the Trinity. How can there be one God who eternally exists in three persons? And the second great mystery is the duality. How can Jesus Christ be one person with two different natures, both a divine nature and a human nature? Well, as I said, it's a mystery. It is not inconsistent with rational logic, but it is a mystery to us. It's not a contradiction, but it is a mystery. Did Jesus, as a 12-year-old, know that he was God? I don't know. Did he instantly possess a perfect memory of the Hebrew Scriptures, or did he have to learn and memorize the verses as we do? We don't know, although the Bible does say in Luke chapter 2 that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus apparently matured and grew intellectually and educationally, physically, spiritually, and socially in a way that was somehow like that of other humans. And if you had just met him on the street, say he was 28 years old and he was coming back from building a house of stone or something, 
you probably wouldn't have looked at him and said, this man is really God. His divinity was veiled. It was still there. He was still fully God, but he had laid aside and relinquished for a while some of his prerogatives. But something happened at his baptism, and it relates to the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3.16 says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And that seems to be the moment when Jesus was truly anointed with power in his ministry. He apparently didn't speak his words or do his miracles in his own power as the second person of the Trinity, for he had temporarily relinquished that. It seems that he operated in the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, like the people in the Old Testament, only in a measureless degree. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Now, John chapter 3, verse 34 says that God gave Jesus the Holy Spirit without any limits, without any measure. That's in a very unique class all by itself, but it is akin to what we learn about and read about in the Old Testament. Now, here's the fourth question. What then did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? And this brings us to a very important discussion that Jesus had with his disciples in that upper room, and probably, as we talked about last week, in the very upper room where they met on the day of Pentecost, or they were going to meet on the day of Pentecost. Jesus told them in this upper room discourse in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, he told them that he was leaving them, that he was going away and they would see him no more for a while, that he was returning to heaven. But he also told them that when he arrived back into heaven, he would ask the Father for the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the same Holy Spirit who came upon certain men and women in the Old Testament and who had come upon Christ without limit and measure. And Jesus said, The Father will give me the Holy Spirit, and I will pour it out on all of you. Now, Jesus said this four times in this upper room discourse. Turn with me. I'm going to turn over to John chapter four, uh, 14 and verse 16. John 14 and verse number 16. Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Literally, the word advocate means someone who will come alongside you, who will stand beside you, who will help you. Some of the translations are your helper, your comforter, your counselor. I'll give you another strengthener. Jesus said, I've been standing here among you. I've been helping you. I've been comforting you. I've been counseling you. I've been strengthening you. I'm going back to heaven, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another one 
who will do this for you, and he will be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, that's a very important distinction, that little participle phrase at the end of verse um, it's verse 17, John 14, 17. He will be in you. There is coming a day, Jesus said, very soon, when the Holy Spirit will come and live among my people, he will dwell among you, and he will actually live inside of you. So that brings us to the fifth question. What then is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? In Acts chapter 1, Jesus told the disciples do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the baptism of the Holy Spirit will occur a few days after my ascension in the city of Jerusalem. And I believe that's what happened on the day of Pentecost that we're going to study next week. The Holy Spirit suddenly descended from heaven like waters released from the dam, or like a big pot of oil suddenly overturned and poured out and baptized the church, and he came to live within the Christians, not just upon them, not just around them, but within them, and he ignited the dispensation or the age of the Holy Spirit the age of the church, the age of missions, the age of grace. And I believe that at the moment each of us invite Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, we instantly become participants in that baptism. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized, past tense. We were all, every one of us, every Christian was baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. So the baptism of the spirit was that dramatic moment in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell upon the followers of Jesus Christ and formed them into one body and came to live among them and to be within them. Well, that leads to question number six. When then do I receive the Holy Spirit? I believe the moment you trust Christ as your Savior. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, and you know some of these Corinthians were not living for Christ the way that they should have. Nevertheless, Paul said, do you not know that your bodies are temples. Your very bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Now, as I said, these Corinthians were a varied group of people. Some were new Christians, some were veteran believers, some were mature, some were mature, some had sinful patterns in their lives, others had effective ministries. Yet Paul said to all of them, don't you realize that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit had, in some mysterious way, entered each believer in body, mind, and soul at the moment of conversion. The moment you receive Christ as Savior, 
your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and he dwells in your mind and in your heart and soul, and literally in your body. Sometimes I'll look at parts of my body like my hand, and I think in some invisible, mysterious way, the Holy Spirit is indwelling me. That's what began happening to the people of God on the day of Pentecost. So the last question, how then do I live and speak in the power of the Holy Spirit? This answer seems to involve the totality of our daily commitment to Jesus Christ. We're told to walk in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we should pray in the Spirit, that we should be filled with the Spirit, that we should exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, that we should minister with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There is a great deal of information in the epistles and also in the book of Acts, but especially instructions given to the epistles about this. You might think of your life as a map of a nation that has been invaded and occupied by the enemy. And as liberating forces advance, more and more of that territory is freed up, and the color of the map changes as the liberators push the invaders towards the borders. Well, how much of the territory of your life has been liberated and is controlled by Jesus Christ? He comes into our lives, but there may be parts of your life or parts of my life, little territories that we haven't really fully yielded to him. It's very hard for the Holy Spirit to fill what is not fully yielded to him. He may live within you, but he is in control. He must be in control of all of you. However much is yielded to Christ, that is how much will be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So if there are still areas in your life where Satan has a foothold, that will hinder the fullness of the Holy Spirit. If there are areas that you aren't willing to relinquish, that will hinder the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. It says that Christians can grieve the Holy Spirit. He grieves. And what is it that causes him to grieve? When there is some area of our life that we've not placed under his control, a habit or a behavior, or some lifestyle choice, or maybe a relationship, we've got to live and speak in the power of the Holy Spirit every day as we are fully surrendered to Christ, trusting him for everything. And when that's true, then the Holy Spirit who lives within us will repeatedly fill us, will grow within us, will replicate the image of Jesus Christ within us, will help us to grow to be more and more like him, will develop the fruit of the Holy Spirit within us, and will utilize the gifts he has given to us for his service so that what we do and what we say will be Christ saying it and doing it through us by the Holy Spirit. So as we prepare and study for our day of Pentecost next week in the book of Acts chapter 2, I think it's helpful to have this larger picture. In the Old Testament, God the Father built the nation of Israel as the first step in providing redemption for the world. And during those days, certain people were anointed by the Holy Spirit at certain times Sometimes they were anointed for the writing of the inspired word. In the Gospels, the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus Christ to provide that redemption. 
But having finished his work, Jesus ascended to heaven, and now he sent the Holy Spirit to baptize and to deluge and to engulf his people. He sent him to establish his church and to begin the era of the dispensation of grace of the church, of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And when we go forth to labor and to preach and to teach and to do our acts of kindness, it must be in the power and under the control of the Holy Spirit. So think of your own life. Let this be a time as we prepare to study Acts chapter 2 next week, when you say, Oh Lord, search me. Is there any area of my life that is not controlled by you? Any area that I need to nail to the cross and give to Jesus Christ that habit that is hindering, that tendency, that personality trait? And may the Holy Spirit work in you and to me so that we are fully surrendered to Christ and fully filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Wean it from earth, though all its pulses move. Stoop to my weakness, mighty as thou art, and make me love thee as I ought to love. Well, this is preparation for next week. So, Lord willing, I'll see you again. We will open our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and we'll study this momentous moment when Jesus received from the Father the Holy Spirit and poured it out upon the church on the day of Pentecost and started a new age of which we today still have a part. This podcast is produced by Clearly Media and by Joshua Rowe. It's edited by Elijah Rowe. Music is by my friend Jordan Davis. And for more information or resources, please check out my website, robertjmorgan.com. And also, I've started a new series, One Minute Bible Studies Through the Bible, starting with Genesis. I'm calling it Through the Bible, Minute by Minute, on Facebook and Instagram. So check out my pages there, and may God bless you until we meet again.